If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet PlushCare, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Live from the Fox News radio studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. And thanks for being with us all week long. I know you got a big 4th of July coming your way. Uh, we have a great uh, best of show on Monday I think you'll really love. Carly Shimkus, bottom of the hour. Who doesn't like what Carly has to say from Fox & Friends first? She's going to be doing a special on the channel on July 3rd. So that'll be Sunday. And hopefully you'll have good, good weather. Because all, here, uh, all of us around the world, around the country especially, Need good weather. We need to be outside after the last few years of variants hitting us, pandemics swamping us, and now we got to get uh, back in a better mood as a nation. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Clarence Thomas, Neil Gorsuch, Amy Cullen Barrett, and Brett Kavanaugh. We hate you. Yeah, and a lot of people walked out on that. Olivia Rodrigo not bursting with pride. That's how Americans are feeling this July as we, as a nation, are set to celebrate our 246th birthday, according to a brand new survey. How do you feel about our country? What are your plans for the holidays? And does the economy and airline industry play a role in your decision? Number two. You can definitely understand the frustrations of those down at the border. This was a very messy decision because there are a lot of statutes in play here. Give the resources necessary to those agencies down at the border to actually do the job that they need to do. Is that even possible? That's Kim Strassel, of course, busted and about to get worse. That's the story of our border and what the Remain in Mexico policy officially blown up by the Supreme Court. And this administration continues to ignore this slow motion train wreck. Number one. The one thing that has been destabilizing is the outrageous behavior of the Supreme Court of the United States on overruling not only Roe v. Wade, but essentially challenging the right to privacy behavior? It's a decision you don't agree with that many people in the country do. Desperate Biden takes aim at the Supreme Court decisions and vows to end the filibuster. What's next? Packing the Supreme Court, perhaps? We'll review the administration's 2-1 record on Thursday that will affect the Dems' green agenda, thankfully, while giving his party an issue to run on Roe v. Wade, which didn't go with Joe Biden wanted to go. It's kind of interesting. I just looked up myself. See, Joe Biden's all over the place throughout his 40-year career on Roe v. Wade. You know, and uh, it's kind of interesting to see uh, when it comes to that decision where he was. So looking back, since he's had this job literally for 40 years as senator, then vice president now, then he was out for four years, then he becomes president. 
So here he is, U.S. Senator uh, from Delaware, Joe Biden, voted against a 1977 compromise that allowed Medicaid to fund abortions that included exceptions for victims in rape and incest, in addition to concerns for life of the mother, while the rape and incest succession passed in the case. Fast forward to 1981. He again voted again to remove them in what was the most far-reaching ban on federal funds over ever enacted by Congress. He voted several times, including in 1983, to prohibit federal workers from using health insurance on abortion services, with only exception being to save the life of the mother. He's a devout Roman Catholic, he would say. He said he is personally opposes abortion and has spoken openly about the internal struggles with this issue. But then fast forward to 2007, knowing he wants to be president, he writes this in his book. He describes his belief in voting record on abortion as middle of the road. He wrote that he doesn't think he has the right to impose my view on the rest of society and committed to protecting Roe v. Wade just in time to run for president when he fell flat on his face to Barack Obama. That clean guy with with um, who, who's a good looking guy. He's a dream. And then he blew up his own candidacy almost immediately. So here is Joe Biden. When word came out about Roe v. Wade, he had to go to the G7. So he came out against it about 12 o'clock in the afternoon, flew out and then said this in his first presser that only lasted about 25 minutes in Madrid. Cut one. I believe we have to codify Roe v. Wade in the law. And the way to do that is to make sure the Congress votes to do that. And if the filibuster gets in the way, it's like voting rights. It should be we provide an exception for this, for the except the require an exception to the filibuster right. for this action to deal with the Supreme Court decision. You ca- you carve out the filibuster. It is out. Okay. You don't decide that you're going to just carve this out as president and tell the Senate what to do. And when the Senate flips majorities, which could happen in 130 days. We'll see the filibuster blown up and a simple majority and the Senate being exactly like the House, a simple majority saving uh, show doing everything. The bottom line is President Biden knowing this, that Kirsten Sinema and Joe Manchin are not blowing up the filibuster. So he's calling for the codifying of Roe v. Wade. Nobody else is. Nobody else is that has the power and you have to blow up the filibuster to do it. And your own caucus doesn't want to do it. And to go overhead and go on to rip the Supreme Court is just way out of bounds. Cut two. I really think that it's a serious, serious uh, problem that the court has thrust upon the United States, uh, not just in terms of the right to choose, but in terms of the right to who you can marry, the right, a whole range of issues relating to, to privacy. He doesn't even know how to object like they told him to. But the left wing of his party is outraged that he hasn't done more. So, of course, he does the same thing he does with the Ukraine. He's comp overcompensating for it. And now he's saying they're going to take out same-sex marriage. Nobody's taken out same-sex marriage. I hope everybody realizes that. Here's Andy McCarthy. Cut five. He was elected to be kind of the uh, anti-Trumpy return to normal, observe norms, you know, things like you don't go overseas and attack other uh, components of the American government. I I just think, you know, in a better time in this country, he'd be censured by Congress. Unfortunately, the time in the country that we're in, this is like Thursday, and it's about as unusual as the sun coming up tomorrow. It's true. We just accept the mutual destruction of an equal balance, uh, an equal... Uh, um, arm of power, co-equal branch of government. 
Let's just rip it apart and destroy its credibility. Go ahead. Criticize the decision. Yeah, listen, I disagree with that decision. Understood. You're allowed to do that. It's called America. But to say it's an illegitimate court and the behavior, outrageous behavior of the Supreme Court, if there were court partying like Boris Johnson during the pandemic, that's called outrageous behavior. This is not outrageous behavior. This is a deliberative decision written in great detail. All answers are in the documents. It didn't end there with the EPA being reined in by a Supreme Court decision. That is also great news because we can't compete as a country with China and Russia if we continue to destroy the fossil fuel industry, which we are not ready to transition from. So he only had a few questions to answer. He left in 25 minutes. Among the people not satisfied, AOC and this guy, David Axelrod, cut nine. When the president got into those questions, gas prices and inflation and abortion rights, there was a lot less of that certainty, a lot less of that emphatic nature uh, of his initial presentation on NATO because he doesn't have great answers. Yeah, that's true, too. But just to show you how unhinged and you know what's worth, I know what I don't know. And I'm always interested. That's why I have such a great job. I can ask questions of people, experts. Steve Moore comes in, an economic expert, has been doing this for 50 years. I don't tell him how to run the economy. Curious about it. I have my own opinions, but I want to get the experts. When it comes to AOC, she knows everything about everything. And she's certain of it all, even though her experience prior to getting this job was bartender. Not that there's anything wrong with bartending. But it would be different if you have a rich history in political science and economic uh, and an economic rich background, or you've owned your you've run your own personal business, you're an entrepreneur, a social uh, activist. Instead, AOC comes out and tells the president what exact. By the way, she has not endorsed the president. She doesn't say I'll even vote for him again. And he spends all of his time having Ron Klain trying to win over the squad mysteriously. Cut eight. So I believe that the president should come out in favor, uh, forcefully in favor of expanding the Supreme Court. I believe that the that the president should forcefully come out in favor of abolishing the Senate filibuster. Those two actions dramatically increase political pressure and makes it much harder to resist. Right. Thankfully, it makes it very hard to resist for the president to come out and say two things forcefully. He's great at yelling at people, even though he has no control over. He can't pack the court. Nobody wants to do it. It's not going to be okay with 60 votes and that going to blow up the filibuster. AOC. And that's the way it works. It's always worked even before when you were at Boston College or Boston University. I forgot which one. I will look look you up in Wikipedia in the break. The other big story is the new Green Deal that AOC came to Congress with. Somebody typed it out. Somebody gave a whole direction to the left wing of the party. How does she shock the world, get the nomination and get elected in Queens and walk out with a detailed new Green Deal, which is an abomination, which would destroy our energy sector, but was out and backed by Senator Markey. Thankfully, the Supreme Court ruled it, uh, rolled in and reeled in the EPA because if the EPA had its way. It's goodbye coal, goodbye oil, goodbye drilling, goodbye, uh, goodbye uh, pipelines, everything. I mean, they already have environmental causes and lawsuits that are stopping the drilling on federal land, on private land, anything where it's the horny toad or the bullfrog, whatever it is, they figure out something, some rare daisy that prevents an oil and gas company from drilling. Now they're going to be start to be reined in. And this, to me, is fantastic news. Here's Jonathan Turley on what it means. Cut 15. 
it's difficult to overstate how important this opinion is uh, because of this question of the, what's sometimes called the fourth branch of government, this, this new sort of entity of, of, or collection of federal agencies that rivals the authority of Congress and even the executive branch where it's held. And here the court really drew a very clear line that these major questions need to be answered by Congress. The whole point of the opinion is you're taking power away from Congress, yes. and yet you have these leaders saying, you know, are you really going to force us to do something? Actually, Senator Warren said, you know, who's, going to, who's now going to act here? Well, you act. You're Congress. That's the whole point of the opinion. So he's just saying... Uh, let's be rational. You want to codify your new Green Deal. Put it up for a vote. Put it up to the voters to decide to put the lawmakers in office that would pass the legislation you think America needs. And if we agree as a country, I'm right there. But my sense is you won't. And just to show you how, how discombobulated from logic, I believe, just my opinion, doesn't mean I want to blow up the Supreme Court, but hold on tight. So Elena Kagan writes this in dissent, and here's the line that stood out. If the current rate of emissions continues, children born this year could live to see parts of the eastern seaboard swallowed by the ocean. Al Gore said the world would essentially end. AOC said we had seven years. Nothing ever happens. There are adjustments. The earth swivels. It's on a swivel. It rotates. We understand that things change. Climate changes. What we're in charge of is still up for debate. That's called science. It's never settled science. And when, we, when you had global warming as your statement, and yet we had long, cold winters, you changed it to climate change because you want to continue to have this pseudo-religion that gives you a focus in life. When we come back, I'll talk about the border and what it means, and I'll talk about uh, elections and what it would possibly uh, we are looking at 140 days from now as we get close to the 4th of July, too. Your opinion on America, has it changed? Mine hasn't. Don't move. Brian Kilmeade Show. Politics, current events, and news that affects you. Brian's got a lot more to say. Stay with Brian Kilmeade. This is Jimmy Fallon, inviting you to join me for Fox Across America, where we'll discuss every single one of the Democrats' dumb ideas. Just kidding. It's only a three-hour show. Listen live at noon Eastern or get the podcast at foxacrossamerica.com. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. The U.S. Supreme Court made a decision about uh, the Remain in Mexico policy at the southern border. If Biden revokes the Remain in Mexico policy, you're going to see the worst border crisis in history get even worse. Yes, it's true. And it is revoked by the Supreme Court. No longer allowed to stay. So now, because Trump put it in, he wants to revoke it. It's an international treaty. The Supreme Court said... Even though I believe Sam Alito believes that it should be put in play, they can't really do it. So he wrote that in dissent, and that is a ruling that went Joe Biden's way. So he's going to – it's not really going to go his way, but it's going what he wants to do. It's going to hurt the country. So now no one, everyone in Mexico will be able to flood the border along with Title 42. You know eventually he's going to get it to go away. And Ron DeSantis pointing out what a disaster it is. He's not a border state, but he might as well be because they keep flying into Jacksonville. They keep flying into Westchester County, keep flying into the middle of Pennsylvania. So this is a mess. And it, it just drives me crazy because this is all intentional, uh, either by ignoring what's happening at the border or just wanting people from other countries to flood our border. 
Carolyn, listening on WDBO. Hey, Carolyn. Hey, I just want to say I think it's really sad that we lost 19 kids in Uvalde and the Biden administration jumps all over gun control. But yet they say nothing about the 42 people who came over from Mexico and Guatemala, died in that truck, and they do nothing about it. I just wonder well, what do you what want him to do, Carolyn? What do you want him to do? He's already commented on I, it. He commented on it overseas. And he acts like yeah. it's they, – and they're saying it's Donald Trump's fault for having a Remain in Mexico policy. I mean that's the type of idiocy that's coming out of them. I know, and it's just sad, and I understand. I'm working with the Republican Party here in the Orlando area to get these guys out. Let's get Marco Rubio back in. Let's get DeSantis back in, and let's get DeSantis on the ticket for president in 2024. Well, you also have another Florida resident that that looks like he will declare that he's running, named uh, President Trump, who's going to be heading to New Jersey soon. Thanks so much for the call. Always appreciate it. Dan Patrick weighed in. He's lieutenant governor of Texas. Cut 18. There is no way you can walk this tightrope in any manner. It's not closed. It's not secure. And they don't care, Shannon. Uh, You know, they we had these 52 poor souls die in the back of that 18 wheeler. And I've been saying this for years in my speeches. No one should have to come to America and die in the back of an 18 wheeler to get here. We need legal immigration reform, obviously. But the Biden administration never takes accountability for everything. And so many of his policies end in death. I mean, we've had people drowned in the river. We've had babies dropped over walls. I would have if I'm a Republican, I wouldn't do put it release it yet after what they did to Rick Scott's plan. But if I'm Kevin McCarthy, if I'm Mitch McConnell, I'm meeting over the weekend. I'm meeting every weekend, free moment. And I'm putting together immigration reform, what it looks like. Because in reality, it's not just about border security. We need people work visas. We watch these big countries like China. Nobody wants to go there. Just wither. In Japan, nobody wants to move there. In Russia, it's a withering population. People want to come here. So let's make it easier to come here and work here legally. But you can't do anything until you secure the border. But have it in place to when the border is diagnosed as secure, when the numbers are down, when fentanyl is stopped, you walk over and say, now here's the plan to make the consulates a little bit bigger, more amenable in the triangle countries, places like Brazil. Maybe we get the best out of Cuba, the doctors and lawyers that they want to come here. And then we make it easier that way. Because right now we have 11 million minimum open jobs, many of which Americans don't want to work. Would be great jobs if you're from Ecuador and Guatemala in certain situations in Honduras. And they're sneaking in the country. Some just want to work. I get it. And others just want to take advantage of our social network system because it's dramatically better than the area in which they're coming. I'm going to talk about this with Carly Shimkus when we come back. She's the co-host of Fox & Friends First. Got a special 4th of July special coming your way. Uh, Keep in mind, too, I have uh, Fox Nation, What Made America Great. The series continues. Four new episodes, the history of Hollywood's history of oil and gas, history of the automobile, and history of the aircraft carrier. I found it all fascinating. Hope you will, too. Just get that Fox Nation app. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Clarence Thomas, Neil Gorsuch, Amy Colin Barrett, and Brett Kavanaugh. We hate you. 
Olivia Rodrigo hates them for making that Roe v. Wade overturning decision. With me right now is Coley Shimkus. She had a lot of people walk out on her, and she was asked about that. And she said, basically, even though it's an outdoor concert, don't let the door hit you in the ass. How will those Supreme Court justices ever recover? Olivia Rodrigo <laughs> right. does it, doesn't, disapproves. Right. My goodness. Um, well, she is allowed to feel that way, and that's what this decision was all about, wasn't it, Brian? Giving everybody in the states the, the the power to decide their own abortion rules. I but I, I have a feeling that a lot of the people that were cheering for Olivia Rodrigo when uh, she said that probably don't know the reality of the situation. Uh, yeah, they probably don't get the whole story because they just think it's banned. They hear the president of the United States say it's uh, horrible. They don't like the behavior. I like this I hear the, behavior the behavior of the Supreme naughty, Court. Naughty, naughty. Right. The worst um, comment from a celebrity was the Green Day guy. Uh, Billy he, Joe well, he, re, he re, rescinded his. Yeah, he did it in the UK. He's like, he said that he doesn't want to be an American anymore. It's like, all right, well, that's then, great. That's fine. Well, I mean, if you read the American Sell Idiot, your house. who cares? Right, the American Idiot is his album, the one that put him on the map. Mm-hmm. It's all a big put down on America, you know. Yeah, I, I need to go back and re- read those lyrics. Hence the name of yeah, the album. That's true. Uh, I think it, it, it criticizes the media a lot, though. So it's like sort of veiled as to what he was referring to. But, yeah, you're right. You did a little lyric reading today on Fox and Friends. How was that? It was hilarious. Right. I, yeah. It was. It because was, I do think that people should listen to the words of music. Well, sometimes um, lyrics to songs when spoken make the song sound a little dumb. Right. <laughs> but when, it, when, they, when they sing it, it sounds great. Right. Yes. Uh, well, do you know there's a refrain in everything? And the refrain isn't usually illuminating. Right. It's to get you to buy the song. Exactly. So, uh, so this is the poll that that, uh, that Carly and I are referring to. Fox News did a poll. Are you proud of the country? In 2017, we asked that question. 51, 51% said yes. In 2016, we asked the question. 50% said yes. In 2011, 69% said yes. Right now, the answer, only 39% said yes. Yeah. Um, are you proud of the country today? Uh, uh, are you proud of the country today? Um, Democrats, 46% said yes. Republicans, 36% said yes. Independents, 29%. So they're proud, but not that proud, even though the Democrats control every lever of the government, except the Supreme Court, perhaps. So they're not happy because they can't do everything because they don't have an absolute monarchy. Right. Well, you know, I think it's the way the question was phrased uh, because— Really? Yeah, the Republican Party is um, the more— patriotic party I mean, we're not trying to republicans aren't trying to rip down statues republicans are trying to you know defend our history and and culture on the world stage so the question is are you proud of the country today yeah and 46 percent of democrats said yes 36 percent of republicans said yes that's really a political question because republicans will say like okay well there's inflation and you know president biden's mumbling and Gas prices and crime? No, not really. I think if the question was, "Are you proud to be an American?" then you would get a better answer. You, you would get like a more you would get a more accurate answer. Yeah, I get. I, I guess just refuse could. to believe that there are fewer Republicans and Democrats that are proud to be an American. So let's break it down by gender for birthing people and non-birthing people. Okay, so the, how many how genders you, are we up to? There's birthing <laughs> people. There's menstruating people. <laughs> 
Um, I mean, what it's else? It's getting grosser. It is. <laughs> it as is. we go on, what's I, next? I just don't want to insult you. I mean, we have we but we have the first female Supreme Court justice that was sworn in, but we're just first not sure. African American uh, female. Yep. Mm-hmm. Right. But should we call her a woman? Well, she, she doesn't does know. Not know what she a woman doesn't is. know what a woman is. That's right. Right. So every script where I said this morning that we had the first uh, female black Supreme Court justice should have come with an asterisk. You embarrassed the country and you embarrassed this company. I'm so ashamed. I'm so ashamed. Men were asked, are you proud of the country? 41% said yes. 36% of women. Black voters, 45% were proud. Hispanic voters, 35% are are proud. uh, Are proud of the country today. It's the women that are really dragging us down. Right. (laughs) I mean, I've said that before, but never on mic. Right. So You actually said it to me, to my face. Oh, did I? (laughs) Uh, Was I referring to you directly? Yeah. Well, no, you said it to Chris, but I was in earshot. Okay. That was part of the was joke. Was it about you? It was part of the joke, Brian. It right. was part of the joke. Because you know what happened. Certain people play montages of me saying those comments, and they think I'm, a, um, they think I'm serious. Seriously? Yeah, before you were here. Oh. There are montages out there when I say, you know, it's a man's world and things of that nature. Having and they fun. took it seriously? Or they chose to pretend oh, to take it seriously and rolled it out. So I, I sound- love when you say stuff like that. I think it's funny. Right. When I make these yeah, because, funny sexist yes. comments as if I meant it, yeah. but I don't really mean it. Exactly. Because you know I don't mean it is why you might think it's funny. Can I say that? Bingo. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. We're going to do more to know in the next uh, 15 minutes, but we're not going to do it now. So 2-1. Two, two votes went the Republicans' way. One vote went the Democrats' way. Mm-hmm. The Remain in Mexico has the Republicans' rate. I already played Ron DeSantis coming out and saying what it's going to mean at the border. Here's what uh, Dan Patrick went on to say, cut 17. It's a tremendous burden on the taxpayers. It's dangerous for America. Uh, People are coming here from 150 countries. And uh, one last stat to give you a sense of how big this is in America. The border with Mexico and Texas is longer than the mileage from Atlanta, Georgia to Maine. That's about 1,100 miles. We have almost 1,300 miles of border with Mexico in a zigzag way down the Red River. But that's how much we have to protect. And now the Supreme Court has just opened the doors. But we're not going to suggest packing the court. We're not going to try to burn down the cities because we don't like the decision. We're not going to change the filibuster rule. Uh, we're going to respect this decision and fight to overturn it. Because he's flabbergasted the Remain in Mexico policy, temporary to send a message to Mexico. You keep letting them in your southern border? They're just going to well up on your northern border. Yeah, I know. So um, it is it is so true, and I think that he made a great point about how Republicans and Democrats handle Supreme Court decisions differently. Um, President Biden should have been implementing the Remain in Mexico policy already because there was the a lower court that said you have to have it in place until the Supreme Court decides. He wasn't doing that. So I do wonder if this is really going to change anything. Anything because it's not like this policy. There was, I think, um, there there were some numbers released. It was just a handful of people that he was having from other countries wait in Mexico. Although, on the other hand, now that the Supreme Court decision came down, because apparently the cartels are pretty politically active and know what's going on with our Supreme Court, yeah. they could actually get some people to say, "Listen, now for a fact, if you if we smuggle you into the country and you give us money, you are not going to have to wait in Mexico." So it actually could increase uh, the number of people. Who I haven't followed up. To Yesterday, Carly Shimkus, but I did see that Dick Durbin called up Senator Tom Tillis in North Carolina and said, should we use this horrible 53 dead in an 18-wheeler accident, accident, smuggling operation, to have our Uvalde moment with immigration? 
have that moment where we get together and we try to solve yeah. this problem together. Because there's been no approach to it. Have you ever seen anything go so wrong and nobody talks about fixing it? I know. And you really do wonder what's it going to take for President Biden to actually address this situation. When I was Intelligently, in, yeah, not I was rhetorically. In, I was in San Antonio where this happened a few months ago and I was talking to people down there and they say – Democrat and Republican, they say they feel completely forgotten by the president because there's an, a major crisis happening on U.S. soil that is right. affecting everybody up and down the border economically, too, because a lot of these people are farmers. And when you get the foot track, traffic in, um, it, it's killing their crops. It's killing their cattle because these people are leaving um, garbage on their land. Cattle are eating it and dying. I know it sounds ridiculous, but it actually is happening. Um, and they just feel complete. There's bailouts that are super dangerous. Americans have died because um, there's these uh, these cars that are filled with illegal immigrants and they go high speed chases through um, city centers and then crash into people and die. So there's so much happening that doesn't even make the news <laughs> that that's how big this issue is, that there's so much going on. Huge stories of people dying in these bailouts. Um and the president hasn't ever addressed it. Right, he hasn't. And I do, the last thing I want to talk about before we go to break and come back with more no is our economy. The president came out and said, again, our inflation is lower than most countries. It's not true. Uh, France, Japan, China, uh, uh, Holland, England, Italy, Germany, Russia, inflation is all lower. So he's not telling the truth. Gas prices, well, uh, Europe's always had high gas prices. We have never had them this high. That is just not the truth. You know, Canada is building an LNG outlet in uh, right on Europe in order to get their natural gas to Europe, and we don't do it. Mm-hmm. So having said all that, here's the president of the United States knowing exactly who to blame, even though he's got to know this is not the truth. Cut 24. It's been in recession all year, so the whole time they've been bragging about how strong the economy was. In fact, Powell was saying the economy is so strong it can easily withstand higher interest rates. It was in recession the whole time. But you got to think about this, Laura. If we're already in a recession, because we had negative uh, 1.6% in the first quarter, and if the Atlanta Fed is right, it's negative one, it may be even worse than that. But we still have near record low unemployment, at least the way the government scores it, which is not very honest. But if we're already in a recession with low unemployment, imagine how much worse this recession is going to get when employers start reacting to the recession by laying off their workers in mass. And as the Fed continues to raise interest rates and as inflation continues to drive consumer prices higher. So the, the, the fear is that when people do what Tesla's doing, Tesla's laying off 10% of yeah, their workforce. I know. So the big thing the president has is jobs. And what if he loses that job number? It's a scary thought. And that's really what's going on right now. That's why the Fed kind of dragged its feet on raising interest rates because then it slows down the economy. And now we're feeling the effects where companies are going to start to do that. So it's this balancing act that I don't think uh, the Biden administration is ever going to win. Right. When, when it comes to the countries where he keeps on saying that every country um, is is facing high inflation. I don't think that works for the American people, though, because Americans expect the United States to do better. Right. Even though other countries are experiencing less inflation. Because we have so much natural resources. I know. Exactly. And the reason we are experiencing high inflation is because we did do the European big time spending bordering on socialism route, which is why those countries are experiencing inflation as well. All right, Carly Shimkus is going to stay to find out if she needs to know more. She might not need to know more, but I, I think she is. to know more. You do? Yes. Okay. Back in a moment.
Learning something new every day on the Brian Kilmeade Show. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Sesame Street's Elmo just got his COVID-19 vaccine. Yeah. In the new video from Sesame Street, Elmo, who is three and a half, received the new vaccine for children under five. Yeah. Unfortunately, this will not help the fact that Elmo is riddled with chlamydia. You're uncomfortable with that one, aren't you? You can't... You know. <laughs> is it really that big of a deal for a Sesame Street character to get a needle in their arm, given there's already a human's hand up their ass? That is, uh, that is James. That is great. You love that, Eric, right? I've never seen Eric laugh so hard. Uh, Coe Shimkus is here. Uh, and uh, by the way, James Corden is in London doing a show. Okay, so you is, wouldn't he know that is he quitting? Is he quitting or yeah. not? Okay, he is quitting. quitting I get all my James Corden news from you. Right, and also, he, you know, it's amazing how many celebrities love him. I told you Tom Cruise is like his best friend. Really? Yeah. So wow. they, Tom yeah. Cruise is having a big moment, too. He is. Finally, things will go his way because he's really struggled <laughs> yeah, for so right. long. Let's find out if Carly needs to know more. More to know. Ladies first. All right, this is one directed at you, and this is why I'm thankful for you. Studies have shown friendship lengthens our lives, improves our performance at work. Wow. And makes us better parents and broadens our minds. Right. A good friendship. Yes. Right, right. Thank you. And you, you believe we have a friendship. I do. And you think I'm, I'm responsible for your longevity. <laughs> yes. So you, that means that I, I now, you, you must fulfill this by allowing me to work here in some way right. for the next 15 years to 20. And then when do, you, when do you think you'll retire? Do you plan on spending like 10 years? Like, I, can't, you, I, I can't think that far in it. Do you think it'll be Carly Shimkiss, 75 years old podcast? They're going to have to drag me out of the building. <laughs> the <laughs> they'll be clinging to the furniture. We have the same uh, uh, <laughs> feeling. Next, and this is bad news. I hate to bring it, but it turns out that yellow mustard shortage could hit the U.S. just in time for the holiday weekend. Grab your Gouldens and hold on. <laughs> the simple answer is that mustard shortage results from the drought conditions realized across the majority of Western Canada and northern U.S., which is the primary growing of the mustard seed. Oh, wow. That according to Ellen Alan Sass, who likes mustard. I wonder what the mustard seed looks like. It's small. Oh. And it grows. Yeah. It adds that in 2020, few acres were set aside for growing mustard because there were fewer mustard plants yielding fewer seeds. Production has dropped by as much as half. So, cling to your mustard. Stop but squeezing. Cling to your Frenches. All right, should I go? Next. Clueless about nature? One in four people don't know caterpillars turn into butterflies. Well, that's a fun surprise for them to find out. Wait a second. People don't know that? A recent one-poll survey polled 2,000 British adults and found three in four felt more confident identifying pigeons than anything else in the garden. (laughs) More than half could not distinguish between a moth and a butterfly. Moreover, a quarter had no idea a caterpillar transformed into a butterfly. These people live in the city, clearly, and they're Carly, dumb. Let's think about this, though. And they're dumb. You put down a whole country, which is we've got our freedom. So. That's right. We beat them. But it is probably the <laughs> in most the Revolutionary War. If you think about it, it is the most miraculous transformation ever. I mean, you're a hairy little worm, and next thing you know, you're flying. Do I you, mean, how great is that? Right, and it takes a nice little cocoon nap, and it just 
emerges. I mean, who the, so much so much effort is put into something that I really what, do we benefit from? But do we benefit from the, of, visual? From yeah, malt? I don't know. Visually, we do. Yeah, but that's it. Yeah, I, I mean, it's like like the bee we hear. They tell us it picks up pollen and drops it off, and we need it to sneeze. Yes. Well, butterflies too. They, they do they pick carry up pollen. pollen. Yeah. All right. So there you go. Yes. Caterpillar really no good. Not yet. No. It is pretty crazy. Think about that. I mean, it's <laughs> next. The Live Golf tees off on American soil for the first time. It's going to happen in Oregon. You know it's sponsored by the Saudi Arabian Sovereign Wealth Fund. Do you know the CEO is Greg Norman? And do you know, I think, 15 PGA stars have left and gone, or 18, now it's probably up to 19, 20, have left uh, the PGA, and the PGA suspended them? Yes. They are writing letters to get back on the PGA Tour. What do you think about this? It's an outrage. Which is? What is? Both. Both. <laughs> <laughs> All right, fine. Uh, I am trying to bring golf back together again. I think sooner or later they're going to have to reach some type of deal because you can't lose all the best golfers. Who's going to care about the majors if all the best golfers are playing in, in different tournaments? Right, yeah, no, I agree. Somebody was saying that they, that maybe one day Live and the PGA will merge mm. into one big I don't think so. super troop. I, well, I don't see that happening. Next. All right, nearly 100% of motorists... That's almost all. Have driven distracted. One in three accidents um, incidents lead to a crash. This is news, apparently. Have you ever driven distracted? I haven't always. driven in about no, twelve no. years. Really? Uh, no, but I never just concentrate on the road. I'm always doing. I mean, I'm looking, <laughs> but I got my AirPods in. I'm thinking about the other stuff. You don't need to. Is if that there are any it... police officers listening right now, he didn't mean it. Right, no, but I'm just, I mean, I don't need, I can look at the road, but it doesn't mean I'm focused on the road. Well, I wasn't a good driver when I was driving. Really? So it's probably a good thing to not have me on the road. I think It's amazing how many people I've talked to who are adults who will say, I haven't driven in years. Yeah. It's because pro- I guess it's, it's city 12, dwelling. 12 years. Can you drive minimum. a stick? No. You I can barely drive automatic. You, this no, is a, it, it, this is, it's better for me to live in the city. Carl, I'm going to watch your show when? Oh, 8 to 10. Oh my gosh, on Monday. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian so Kilmeade. So glad you're here. Brian Kilmeade Show coming to you from 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan, heard around the country, heard around the world, especially in the Ukraine. Admiral James Stravitas, I cannot wait to get his take on what he thought of the G7 slash NATO summit as they expand by two key members and try to surround Russia, who's defiant. Uh, and indefatigable in their quest just to bury cities and people in shopping malls because they cannot win in a pitch battle against the Ukrainians, which should be embarrassing, but they are just ruthless. We'll talk about that with Admiral James Stravitas. Jonathan Charlie standing by with all the legal cases. It's one of the most impactful periods of time in judicial, American judicial history, I believe. Jonathan Charlie in a matter of moments. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Sponsored by LifeVac. Save a life in a choking emergency. Visit LifeVac.net to learn more and use code BK10 to save 10%. Number three. Clarence Thomas, Neil Gorsuch, Amy Cullen Barrett, and Brett Kavanaugh. We hate you. Olivia Rodrigo who is a very hot singer, hot as in popular, 
goes ahead and alienates a lot of our audience with that statement, not bursting with pride. That's how Americans are feeling this July as we, as a nation, are set to celebrate our 246th birthday. This according to a new survey. How do you feel about our country? What about your plans for the holidays? Does it, is it affected by gas prices and a cratering airline industry? Number two. You can definitely understand the frustrations of those down at the border. This was a very messy decision because there are a lot of statutes in play here. Give the resources necessary to those agencies down at the border to actually do the job that they need to do. There you go, Kim Strassel, Wall Street Journal, busted and about to get worse. That's the story of our border after the Remain in Mexico policy officially blown up by the Supreme Court. And the administration continues to ignore this slow motion train wreck. Number one. The one thing that has been destabilizing is the outrageous behavior of the Supreme Court of the United States on overruling not only Roe v. Wade, but essentially challenging the right to privacy. Really? Okay. The behavior. He doesn't like the behavior of the Supreme Court. Desperate Biden takes aim at the Supreme Court and vows to end the filibuster to get his way. Packing the Supreme Court is his goal. We'll review the administration's 2-1 record on Thursday that will affect the Dems' green agenda while giving his party an issue possibly to run on with the elimination of Roe v. Wade. Uh, Jonathan Turley, you must be having a lot of Vibrin and Red Bull because we've been calling on you a lot for your legal expertise. Are you one one of the people that was not surprised that Remain in Mexico uh, was was uh, blown up? No, I was not particularly surprised. Uh, I thought it could have gone either way. Uh, this was a prototypical Roberts decision. It was narrow. It was accommodating. It was an attempt to avoid what he viewed as uh, a, a shakeup of, between the two branches. But he went out of his way to repeatedly say this is quite narrow, that uh, he's trying to avoid uh, undermining uh, the president on an issue of foreign relations. And so I, I don't think this is going to have a big impact on the border, certainly, in terms of that policy. But legally, it was a fairly narrow r- ruling. Here is uh, so the other the other there's a lot of big rulings. But uh, the president uh, in Madrid, Spain, uh, went out of his way to rip the Supreme Court and the, the sanctity of the Supreme Court. Not I disagree with the decision. But listen to what he said. Cut to. I really think that it's a serious, serious uh, problem that the court has thrust upon the United States, uh, not just in terms of the right to choose, but in terms of the right to who you can marry, the right, a whole range of issues relating to, to privacy. And we know that that is not true. He, it's nothing to do with right to marry. But this is the part which I, th- I have a huge problem with. Cut for the one thing that has been destabilizing is the outrageous behavior of the Supreme Court of the United States on overruling not only Roe v. Wade, but essentially challenging the right to privacy. We've been a leader in the world in terms of personal rights and privacy rights. And it is a mistake, in my view, for the Supreme Court to do what it did. So it's a mistake in his view. And he says the behavior of the Supreme Court. I'm scratching my head here. Yeah, it's it's really a continuation of this failure of leadership that we've seen with the president. I have no problem with his disagreements with the opinion. Plenty of people have disagreements with the opinion. But this is a time when a president can try to at least bring a civility and a maturity to the conversation. Instead, he's repeating false notions about this opinion. This court 
more than any in, in any decision I can recall, repeatedly and expressly cut off the very argument that he just referenced. I've never seen an opinion like it. They just keep on coming back and saying, once again, we do not believe that this opinion uh, has any application to same-sex marriage, to contraception, to these other areas. And yet it didn't hold this parade of horribles. But the president has really shown, and he, he was sort of like this as a senator, that he's driven by polling and rather than principles. You know, for example, he long opposed changing the filibuster when he was in the Senate. He even opposed it uh, during his presidential term. But now he flopped and flipped and went and said, well, you know, I, I now think that we should effectively end it because you don't create an exception to a legislative filibuster for one subject. That's not how it works. You know, you don't have a filibuster except if it really causes you difficulty. So what I don't understand, and I need some education on this, is, okay, the, now all the decision goes to the states. A lot of these states had triggers that said, if Roe v. Wade is ever overturned, we now have this law taking over. And a lot of the law, for example, I believe in Mississippi, said no more abortions, period. In Florida, they knocked it down to 15 weeks, and a judge decided that that's not going to work. Where did the judges come in, and where does the legislation come in with this language? Because they also stayed a lot of the orders when it comes to the trigger, the, the, those trigger rules in various states, correct? Yeah, we expected that there's going to be a certain period of hashing out these laws. Some of these trigger laws are quite old. Some laws actually predate uh, Roe v. Wade. And so we expected that all of them will be challenged. And courts will often enjoin uh, the the parties so it has a chance to review and uh, basically rule on these laws without any major changes occurring. Ultimately, these states have a right to ban abortion. Uh, they also have a right, as in places like Colorado, to give basically absolute rights of abortion. In Colorado, they just passed a law that said you have a right to abortion to the moment of birth. That would be a nine-month fully formed baby. So you're going to have uh, this type of spectrum of cases. Now, these these <laughs> state judges can rule not just on the federal constitution, which would be difficult now after Dobbs, but they can rule on the, under the state constitution. So some of these uh, um, state judges are saying, well, under our constitution, our laws, um, there are problems here. And so we're going to have to hash those things out. It's going to take a couple of years. So the Supreme Court decision that really struck me is, and there's a lot, but this one in particular, the Supreme Court ruled the EPA does not have the authority to regulate greenhouse gas emissions uh, by a 6-3 margin. And then, the, and then I'm watching the dissent, and this line stands out with me. Elena Kagan obviously doesn't agree with that. She's one of the liberal justices. She says, if the current rate of emissions continues, children born this year could live to see parts of the eastern seaboard swallowed up by the ocean. That's an interesting way to talk maybe, I don't know, over dinner tonight. But I didn't think that would end up in the dissent because that's hardly settled science. Yeah, and we actually had uh, similar uh, claims that were debunked by uh, Justice Sotomayor previously in oral argument. And, uh, you know, I'm not saying that this claim it will be ultimately debunked, but there is a, a difficulty when justices uh, start to lean towards policy discussions in that way. 
And there are many people that disagree with what Justice Kagan said. So I think it's always wise for justices not to get involved uh, in those types of scientific fights. The question for a justice is not what's going to happen, but who makes a decision as to what to do about it. And whenever justices start to put their thumb on the scale and say, well, this was a really bad idea because all of these things are likely to happen, it pushes them more to looking legislative rather than judicial. But in terms of the EPA decision, it, 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 it has been, as usual, grossly misrepresented in the media. It's been grossly misrepresented by many politicians. I mean, you have Senator Warren, uh, you have Senator Schumer, you have AOC, all saying that this is horrific because, you know, they just stopped us from being able to do anything about climate uh, uh, change. And Warren saying, who's going to be able to take action? Well, the answer is you. I mean, the, the, the funny thing about this opinion is it, it supports Congress. It says you're taking your power from Congress. You're usurping the legislative branch. And you have all of these Democratic politicians who are irate that the court is effectively right. reinforcing their authority under the Constitution. So what they felt with the EPA, EPA being used as a hammer, they were getting rid of coal plants, making it impossible through environmental uh, through environmental challenges to drill in certain areas or frack in other areas? And will, those, will that no longer have any stake? So if they bring some of these same issues forward under this ruling, do they, will, will that no longer curtail the drilling, the fracking, um, uh, a, lot, uh, a lot of the other things that maybe the Greens don't want to see happen? Well, they still may be able to do that, but they're going to have to find other grounds by which to do it. This was really the Hail Mary. This was basically saying, stop it because we're telling you to stop it, because the president is the president and he doesn't want this to occur. And what the Supreme Court said, that's not enough. You know, you're talking about a major question impacting millions of jobs, the economy, obviously the environment. You have to go to Congress. You need to convince them that this is the right thing to do. Now, they could try to break this up a bit and try to push some of these moratoriums on other legislative uh, or or, uh, regulatory grounds. But this is a very significant loss. I mean, it's, it's one of the biggest losses for what's called the administrative state. I mean, the Supreme Court is putting a shot across the bow of federal agencies, that you've got to stop acting like Congress, and Congress has got to stop being this silent partner in the governance of our country. And and the thing is, Jonathan Turley, part of it is they can't get anything done. You need the 60 votes. They don't get it. They they wait for the courts to figure it out. So AOC said this, tweet this out, catastrophic. A filibuster carve-out is not enough. We We need the reform to do away with the whole thing for the sake of the planet. So do away with the Supreme Court for the planet, for the good of the planet. Yeah, well, AOC previously said she doesn't really understand the value of having the Supreme Court. Uh, She said that over a year ago. And this is part of that burn it down, uh, you know, the whole mantra that you're beginning to hear. Even usually sober voices uh, like Senator Shaheen talked about a revolution if the Supreme Court didn't yield to these demands. Senator Warren said that the Supreme Court should be immediately packed because it's not responding to public opinion. I mean, these statements are breathtaking in their ignorance of our constitutional history and purpose. 
Could you imagine the system we would have if a court simply followed public opinion? It's designed not to follow public opinion. It's designed as an institution to stand against everyone, not just the president and Congress, but the American people themselves, because it's there to protect minority rights. It's there to protect constitutional rights. So when, when AOC says, well, we just need to change the whole thing, she's saying that I, I support this system as long as it yields to my demands. So the thing I worry most about now is the Supreme Court justices' security. They have not passed the bill to give them bulked-up security. They were in front of Amy Coney Barrett's house last night, I think, for the last few nights. When are they ever going to feel secure in this environment? Well, I think that's a very good question because these politicians are continuing to stoke the anger, including the president. He's been remarkably silent. Uh, You know, recently he finally came out and said, I don't support violence or intimidation. It took weeks for him to do that. Uh, And, you know, this administration in the meantime is reinforcing this view that this is a court that did something grossly wrong because it viewed the Constitution differently from the president. I didn't know Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas was a professor at George Washington University. Is that correct? Yeah, he's yeah he's been teaching uh, for a number of years, and we are very fortunate to have him. Were you surprised there was a push to get him out off the faculty because of this, this Roe v. Wade decision? I was not surprised, but I was alarmed by how much support he got, uh, how much support that campaign received in such a short time. How much did Over it? Over 5,000 people wow. signed the petition within 24 hours. And... I think many faculty and students uh, supported it. And the thing is, this was an easy fight. You know, I have a blog that tracks all of these fights um, at, at universities across the country, and there's hundreds of these cases. This was an easy one because he's a Supreme Court justice, and the university really would have had hell to pay if they, if they yielded to this mob. The problem is that most professors in this country – 75% of them do not have tenure. They're like Thomas. They are uh, what are called provisional or contingent faculty. They don't have a day job. They don't have a high-profile position. When they get targeted, they tend to get fired. And so I think what the important thing to come out of the Thomas controversy is that not the outcome, which most of us expected, but the fact that this is an anomaly. That, that there are faculty across the country that are being terminated or forced off faculty without very, with very little attention. And right. it's it. it resulted in almost the faculties are devoid of dissenting voices. Jonathan Turley, you're not afraid to, to, to dissent. I know that for sure. Thanks so much for joining us. Have a great weekend, Jonathan. Yeah, happy Fourth of July. Back in a moment. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. How did the invention of the car change America and the quality of life? It changed America completely. We care about freedom. One of those freedoms we care about is traveling, getting places, going where we want to go. The car let us go further, faster. It let us explore 
So I think in Henry's mind, the car was often about making life easier. Henry Ford is what she was referring to, and that is part of the brand new season, ninth season, of What Made America Great. We're up to 45, the history of the automobile. The history of the aircraft carrier, 100 years old, what it's meant for America, success in military exploration, where we're at right now with nuclear-powered ones. The history of Hollywood is also there, and the history of oil and gas. When you see this, and the people I had a chance to talk to, they really expose all the different ways in which America is great. They say, well, everyone's like, oh, America's economy is great and the military is great. Well, why? Because of the innovation of the automobile, because of the innovation of the way we manufacture, because the quality of life for the worker, because of oil and gas and what it was able to fuel in this country and for great people like Thomas Edison and who mentored this guy named Henry Ford. Uh, and these, there's video out there that exists, so I, I think you really like it. So go get the Fox Nation app, especially Saturday. It's supposed to be rainy, especially in the Northeast. So watch some of this and realize how great a country we have had. Brian Kilmeade Show, back with James Stravitas right up to this. The Admiral. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Putin has done it. He's managed to unite NATO, and certainly that Finland and Sweden stepping up, obviously seeing what had happened in Ukraine, they recognize the danger that Russia poses to them, and they're bringing to the table here good economies and very good militaries, and they're in the most vulnerable part of the world as far as Russian expansion into a NATO country. That would likely be the Baltic states themselves, small countries, small militaries, Right on the Russian border, very vulnerable. Sweden and Finland add a lot to NATO as a result of this. General Jack Keane with me about two hours ago on Fox and Friends. Let's bring in Admiral James Javidis, former Supreme Allied Commander of NATO. Uh, Admiral, are you surprised where we're, we have this day that they're now on the glide path to becoming members of NATO? I think the word I would use is I'm thrilled. Um, and, and I don't say that because I uh, watched uh, CNN this morning. I say it because... I commanded these troops. I commanded them in Afghanistan, in Libya, in the Balkans. The Finns and the Swedes are 100% professional. They are a turnkey military. They're ready to go and fight tonight right alongside us. And by the way, militarily, Brian, because they will occupy that northern flank, it complicates any any invasion plan Russia could have because they would find themselves, the Russians would find themselves with these two very professional, solid militaries up to the north if they tried to make a move on the Baltic states, as General Jack points out. So this is a very, very good day for NATO. Uh, Putin says, too, uh, so he he says that um, uh, he's looking to unify Belarus, make it part of Russia. He's also looking to annex the parts he's acquired from the Ukraine already, have changing the currency, changing the, the leaders, and also changing the language. Putin is uh, bent, and he has been really for a decade, on, on essentially conquering the former republics of the Soviet Union. And that's the stands in Central Asia, Kazakhstan, for example. He also wants control of the Caucasus. That's Armenia and Georgia. He wants Belarus formally, and he will try and grab this strip of Ukraine that he's pulled away. 
So there's no surprise in any of this. What's wonderful is the way the West has stood up to him and armed the Ukrainians and bringing Sweden and Finland in and protecting the Baltics. This is the right thing to do because, believe me, Putin is not going to stop until we punch him hard in the mouth. But right now he feels as though, since it doesn't seem from what we could tell that he's feeling the pressure domestically, it feels as though he's just going to keep on using his uh, long-distance artillery to level cities and gradually surround them and take them. What would stop this? Uh, More ammunition in the shortest sense, and that means putting more heavy artillery, more Uh, surface-to-surface missiles to use on the land, more harpoon missiles to reach out and sink the rest of the Black Sea fleet, more fighter aircraft overhead. That's something we haven't done yet that we need to. Um, All of this, Brian, is uh, a necessary cost. And the good news is we're not having to put our soldiers, our sailors, our airmen into this fight. The Ukrainians are perfectly willing to carry this fight. Our job is to give them the tools to continue to punch back at Russia. My money is on the Ukrainians. Uh, to hold where they're at or begin to take land back? Because General Jack Keane says there's some real movement about counterattacking in Kyrgyzstan. Yes, he's correct. And that strip of the coastal range that kind of runs around Kyrgyzstan and over to Mariupol, actually on the coast, Uh, That region, I think, is going to see Ukrainian offensive activity, and that's going to create real problems for Putin. It'll split his forces between those still down in the Crimea and those up to the north. It's a smart move militarily. I assure you the Ukrainians are getting not only military support but a lot of military advice, intelligence, cyber overwatch. Um, Watch for the Ukrainians to start moving out fairly soon in that region. So don't you think domestically for us here, and you know I'm firmly in support of this action, I see the big picture as well as any non-military person does. Do you think for domestic, do people understand what they're writing the checks for, they have to see the Ukrainians start getting land back? I think that our support will continue as long as Putin continues the offense here. Um, If Putin were to begin uh, to wind down his offensive military operation, if Putin said, now I want to negotiate, then I think you could see U.S. uh, domestic support kind of move to our own domestic issues. But as long as Putin is conducting the kind of campaign he is, Brian, such as blowing up malls, uh, destroying maternity wards, flattening hospitals— Uh, raping indiscriminately. Um, As long as that war criminal behavior continues, I think you're going to see the U.S. stand firmly. And then more importantly, because this is a European world that we're dealing with, you're going to see NATO and the Europeans stand very firmly here. They know what it means to be under a Russian boot, and they are going to stand with us. I think we are going to be able to push Putin back. Well, a couple of things. We took back Snake Island, uh, not we. Yeah. Ukraine took back Snake Island. So what is uh, essentially even Russia admits they left. They just said they did it voluntarily. They gave it up. What is the truth and what does it mean? The truth is they were uh, destroyed. Their forces were crushed by the Ukrainians using a combination of amphibious assault, uh, cruise missiles. Uh, the Russians left um, ignominiously. 
And Snake Island is geographically critical, Brian. It sits uh, just outside of Odessa. And if the Russians were allowed to stay there, it could have been uh, used as a springboard to attack Odessa. And it also could have blocked grain shipments from coming out of Odessa, kind of turning the corner and getting into the Danube River, which is a a path they could take. Um, It is also critical in any plan, which I think we should be doing, to escort grain shipments out of Odessa so we can get this grain to world markets and also for the economic benefits for the Ukrainians as they fight this fight. So this Snake Island is crucial, and it is uh, very significant that the Russians were ejected by the Ukrainians. So in terms of opening up the shipping lanes, this is what Jack Keane told me uh, this morning. Cut 36. This will be Putin's call. Does he feel the humanitarian pressure to to release these cargo ships as a result of what's going to happen out in the world? I don't think so. I think what Putin is focused on, he wants Ukraine to fail as a state. 35% economic retraction right now, growing likely to 50 because he's shutting down 95% 95% of their exports. I think he'll likely hold on to that position. We hope he changes it for the sake of Ukraine and for the world food supply, but I think it's unlikely he will. Talk about opening up the shipping lanes, even with Snake Island. He thinks it's unlikely. Uh, I'll add to that. It looks like Erdogan says, I'm going to meet with Vladimir Putin about doing just that. Does he have sway with Putin? I think what's really happening here, Brian, the more we talk, about escorting those grain tankers with U.S. Navy warships, the more Putin realizes he can't win in that scenario. That puts pressure on Putin to say, oh, never mind, I will let the grain shipments go. He'll try and play it as a kind of humanitarian gesture. If he does not do that, my view, we need to do this. We need to re-tag, re-flag these grain shipments, put a Navy guided missile frigate alongside each one of them, and take them in and out. Putin wouldn't dare attack them. That's the right next step here. And Jack's got it right in particular that Putin's objective here, like Abraham Lincoln in the Civil War, is a plan anaconda, which is how Lincoln strangled the South with the blockade. Putin wants to do that. We can't let him make that happen. So when Erdogan goes to visit uh, with Russia, uh, two days after he greenlighted Sweden and Finland, because it's got to be a unanimous vote for NATO, <laughs> do you think that he's motivated to do anything and look like a statesman with an election looming? Does that matter to the Turkish people? Does he care about looking like a, a peace officer, like an a emissary of, yeah. of peace? I think it is important to him, Brian, and I've met with President Erdogan on, on several occasions when I was Supreme Allied Commander of NATO Um, He is very much focused on his domestic audience, and he sees himself playing to the domestic audience as someone who, in the case of Sweden and Finland, uh, made important gains. He'll play it that way concerning the Kurdish activities. In the case of the larger world and the Ukrainian situation, he will uh, try to get these grain shipments open and he may be uh, someone who tries to actually bring Putin and Zelensky to the table to negotiate in four, six, eight months. So I think he is playing to a domestic audience, but in doing so, he potentially could do a great deal of good here.
Lastly, President Xi is leaving the mainland for the first time since he started the pandemic. He's going to Hong Kong. Uh, what's at stake there as he looks at basically occupied Hong Kong? He took it over. Uh, what, what do you think? What's the message we're supposed to get from this? He wants us to understand that he is in complete control of Hong Kong. And he wants the Hong Kongers to understand that. And he wants to play back to what we just talked about. He wants to play to his domestic audience. All of this, Brian, because he's coming up in November for what passes for an election in China, which is he will be anointed to his third five-year term as the leader of China. That puts him in the pantheon with Mao and Deng. It's very important to him that that switch closes. Part of his strategy is to show China and the world that he is in complete control within the borders of China. Do they benefit just substantially from their alliance with Russia as they get the discount oil as much as they need without really having any personal stake in this? I think they have played the ball in a very smart way from their perspective, meaning they're taking highly discounted uh, oil from Russia. They continue to kind of keep Russia in a loose alignment with them. Uh, And uh, above all, they align as authoritarian states. That's what they see as, as the alignment. Our job is to try and find a way to create real division between China and Russia. That's going to be hard to do, and that's the next big geopolitical challenge. So I'm looking at this study, and I know they didn't go to your house and ask for this, and they asked people this question. Are you proud of the country? In 2017, 51% said yes. In 2016, it was at 50. In 2011, it was at 69%. Now the answer is 39% of the country is proud of their country. What's Admiral Stavridis' answer to that? I am immensely proud of my country. And countries are like people, Brian. Um, We all make mistakes. We make left turns when we should make a right turn, or we make a right turn when we ought to take a left turn. We are, however a good people. We are a charitable people. We are a people who together can do anything. My wish for our nation on this 4th of July is that we can come together, disagree about policy, but come together as Americans. And I remain proud of this country. Absolutely. You have to check out Fox Nation because I did a special on 100 years of the aircraft carrier and see if it reaches your spe- if it reaches the heights in which you <laughs> demand because you spend I imagine a lot of years on aircraft carriers. I have I spent uh, too many years to count on aircraft carriers and and speaking of being proud I'm also proud of the US Navy which today uh, hundreds of ships are sailing around the world under American flags on and uh, getting ready for the 4th of July. Go get him, Admiral Stravian. It's always great to have you on. <laughs> Thanks, Brian. Talk enjoy, to you. Bye. In, enjoy the fourth. Uh, when we come back, I'll take your calls. one 408 This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. 
Unlike baby formula, his book is still on the shelves. <laughs> Fox and Friends co-host and host of the great new show, What Made America Great, on Fox Nation, Brian Kilmeade. Brian, how you doing there, champ? Good. You've been so nice to me, and it, I'm really worried. Yeah, yeah. I'm saving it all up. <laughs> I guess so. Brian, Gallup poll finds the world is unhappier and more stressed out than ever before. Right. Are you to blame? Yes, I am to blame. I feel bad for you. I know things haven't been going well. I didn't say that. No, I mean, I no, it's, it, no it's, it's the scuttlebutt in the kitchen. Because the incentives are in place. First of all, you're paying for it. Like a night out with Kilmeade, you foot the bill. That's not true. <laughs> so that's a little of the reason why I should never go on Gutfeld. It doesn't go well, ever. Uh, but I go on anyway, uh, because he keeps asking me back, and then he's not happy that I'm there. But I was able to go on with Laura Trump. I was able to go on last night with uh, Jamie Lissau, as well as, uh, of course, Kat Timpf. And what you have is the best studio in the country. It is it is so intimate, yet you can get a, a few hundred people in there. Great audience. And now the show beats every beats Colbert like, once in a while, let's say twice a week, but beats Jimmy Fallon, beats Kimmel like a drum. And the 1230 shows, he destroys it. So how do you explain that? How do you explain the success of a so-called cable show in late night when you've had The Tonight Show on since the 50s? You've had Steve Allen, Jack Parr, Johnny Carson, Jay Leno, Conan O'Brien, Jimmy Fallon. The Tonight Show falls by the wayside, doesn't get close, with hundreds of writers. So it's pretty amazing. It's one of the untold stories because no one, no one can figure, quite figure it out. J.D., uh, living in Reno, Nevada. Hey, J.D. Las Vegas, Nevada. Good morning, sir. Okay. Uh, the mind? next time you talk to the Admiral, I'd appreciate it if you ask him about our ships. We're not building any more ships, uh, and we're b- badly behind uh, in uh, not building fast enough. the Chinese. Uh, pardon me? We're not building fast enough. We are building. I know, but not we're we're way behind, and uh, uh, you know the next time you talk about uh, this Cassidy Smollett Hutchison, maybe you should play in the background. Cassidy Smollett. Uh, I heard it on the grapevine, or uh, I heard it from a friend because uh, her Hearsay? answers yeah. seem to me to be uh, in effect of. I heard something to the effect of no words. Uh, they seem to be covering for perjury. So because, JD, uh, the pressure's on January sixth right now, and I said this last night on Gutfeld. Right now, their credibility, even if on the left, is at stake. Because you heard Jake Tapper, you know, to Jamie Raskin. He goes, you know, this is all true, and I've never, you know, I'm not saying it's not true, but I would love some corroboration. And he's like, well, we're not in a court of law. Well, you know what? The people's court is in. And if you want everyone to believe Cassidy Hutchinson, then when the Secret Service, who evidently witnessed the grabbing of the wheel and the assault of the president— when they come out and say, it's not true, I want to testify under oath, you better put them under oath. Because that's just a little of what they had gotten had Republicans had a chance in the minority to question. Because there's a bunch of different things that could be said to Cassidy that might make her story look better or worse. But instead, it just sits out there as if it's going to be untouched. But the average person has a lot of questions when she was done. Thanks so much for listening. Don't forget, you got One Nation to Watch, Saturday at 8 o'clock with Brian Kilmeade. That's me. And 11 o'clock on Fox News. And don't forget to get the Fox Nation app for new episodes of What Made America Great. 
from the Fox News Radio studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everybody. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here all week long as we get set to celebrate Fourth of July weekend. Can't take anything for granted these days. Remember, have we ever thought they'd cancel cookouts? Whoever thought they'd cancel Christmas? That's what Anthony Fauci's been doing for the last few years until he got the COVID fire himself. Finally, he has quieted down, turned down a few appearances. Uh, Charlie Hurt at the bottom of the hour, Fox News contributor. Uh, he's also on the big show, I think, this weekend, too. Columnist for The Washington Times. Shannon Bream is standing by because she's just barely ever on the air, except for every seven minutes, thanks to the Supreme Court session, as well as her own show. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Clarence Thomas, Neil Gorsuch, Amy Coney Barrett, and Brett Kavanaugh. We hate you. Right, Olivia Rodrigo hates them. Not bursting with pride. That's how Americans feel this holiday season. As we our nation sets to get set to celebrate our 246th birthday. How do you feel about our country? What are your plans for the holidays? And does the economy and airline industry play a role in your decision? Number two. You can definitely understand the frustrations of those down at the border. This was a very messy decision because there are a lot of statutes in play here. Give the resources necessary to those agencies down at the border to actually do the job that they need to do. Imagine that. That's Wall Street Journal's Kim Strassel. Busted and about to get worse. That's the story of our border. And the Remain in Mexico policy that was trying to keep things a little bit orderly has just been blown out of the water by the Supreme Court. Shannon will weigh in on that. Number one. The one thing that has been destabilizing is the outrageous behavior of the Supreme Court of the United States on overruling not only Roe v. Wade, but essentially challenging the right to privacy. Outrageous behavior? It's your best friend Boris Johnson that is outrageous behavior. Yeah, like the Supreme Court's been partying aplenty. He doesn't agree with the decisions. So he wants to blow up the filibuster and perhaps pack the court. Will that fly? Shannon Bream is... Got a packed schedule. Fox News chief legal analyst, anchor of Fox News at night, author of Mothers and Daughters of the Bible Speak. Shannon, speak to me. Do you believe that the the Supreme Court is achieve, uh, is behaving badly? Well, I guess it all depends on where you're coming <laughs> from. Listen, yesterday they were furious. Um, you know, the president made those statements right before we got the last two opinions of the term. They lost one. I mean, the EPA and its power got reined in on sort of their climate change agenda they've got. But they won on Remain in Mexico. So, you know, the administration is going to get to roll that back at the border. So I guess they love the court when they love it. They hate it when they hate it. Um, but they certainly, you know, the White House and the president have not been um, you know, shy about going after it. And neither has the legislative branch, which is now brimming with calls for blowing up the filibuster impacting the court. All right, I want you to hear the expanded version of what President Biden said from Madrid. Cut four. The one thing that has been destabilizing is the outrageous behavior of the Supreme Court of the United States on overruling not only Roe v. Wade, but essentially challenging the right to privacy. We've been a leader in the world in terms of personal rights and privacy rights. And it is a mistake, in my view, for the Supreme Court to do what it did. What's he talking about, privacy rights? 
Well, you know what? I think his whole thing is when Roe got overturned last Friday, gosh, I can't believe it was just a week ago, um, you know, Justice Alito, who wrote for the majority, was very clear. Nothing in this opinion extends our reasoning beyond the issue of abortion. This is about that only. But Justice Thomas, in his concurrence, which nobody else signed on to, said, I agree. Nothing in this decision affects anything beyond abortion. But I do think we maybe need to revisit some of our substantive due process decisions. And those do involve things like same-sex marriage and contraception, that kind of thing. Um, no one can foresee any scenario and under which that may happen. But I think that you remember the president after, you know, the decision leaked, the draft opinion, he was saying something weird stuff about kids who are, are going to be segregated in classrooms based on their sexuality. Yeah, and what I, was that was about? All kinds of weird stuff. So I think I think that's fear mongering. I mean, the reality of the decision is that abortion goes back to the states where you live. It will make a difference where you live and it's going to be hashed out there. But um, the president continues to say things that don't line up with the actual text of these opinions. So uh, AOC is not happy. I don't know if you heard. She called the decision when it comes to the EPA catastrophic, a filibuster mm-hmm. carve out, not enough. We need to reform or do away with the whole thing, the whole court system for the sake of the planet. So do you think that's an overreaction or is she making a lot of sense to Shannon Bream? Well, you know, um, we were having lunch, AOC and I. No. Hey, she's, uh, it's an open invitation. We were not, though. Um, when I first saw that tweet, I'm like, is she saying blow up the Supreme Court or is she saying blowing up the filibuster, which I think is what she meant. Either way, uh, it's going to be a heavy lift. I mean, Senators Manchin and Cinema yesterday, again, when they were reached, you know, people were trying to get comment from them, reiterated, we're not blowing up the filibuster. So, I mean, the only scenario in which that happens is if Democrats pick up seats in the Senate this fall. And listen, they're smart. The party is smart to campaign on those things because they don't have the economy or anything else. They're upside down on almost everything else. So for them, if they can say, you know, look what happens when the Supreme Court runs wild and you've got to vote, the, you know, we need more senators so we can keep these judges out of um, off the bench. Um, it's a smart political move for them because I think it's probably their strongest argument right now. So what's going on, if you can unwind what the state courts are saying, they stayed the order on some of these trigger bans. So they, mm-hmm. the, so what governments, what state governments had put in place is if Roe v. Wade is ever overturned, this will happen. So places like mm-hmm. Mississippi, that means zero abortions. And in other places, we're hearing about a stay on the order in Louisiana, I think, in particular, that says, mm-hmm. no, no, leave everything it is by now, as now. Can they do that? What's the process? Because didn't the Supreme Court already rule? Well, here's the thing. It said this should have been left to states. So everything now goes back to the state courts. So a number of these lawsuits by abortion providers and their allies say, based on the state constitution, which has this guaranteed a right or life or liberty, whatever the the particular state constitution is, their argument now is, well, the state abortion law is in conflict with that. So in some states, You've got pending court dates. We would expect, you know, in every state that's got abortion restrictions, this is going to happen. And in some states, you do have some of those laws on hold. Yesterday, we saw that Florida, a judge put a hold on their 15-week ban. Um, So these, you know, uh, the people who want to fight for broadened abortion access are going to file lawsuits in every single state. You will have some judges who stay it until they get to the merits on the case. Others will say, you know, let's wait for the court hearing. Um, but yeah, Louisiana, Florida, others, um, the, the battle got heated very, very quickly. So uh, we see when you talk about Florida, Ron DeSantis uh, is not happy. He is speaking again. Uh, DeSantis on, third, on uh, yesterday announced his intention to appeal this court order 
Uh, mm-hmm. They would block abortions after 15 weeks. 15 weeks is also what Virginia said. The Florida legislature passed the law known for House Bill 5, but DeSantis signed it in April, thought it was done. The law bans most abortions after the 15th week pregnancy unless the health of the mother is threatened or unless the baby has a fatal fetal abnormality. So what's the court basing its rejection on? Again, they're going to look at this Florida state constitution. And what does it say about guarantees of life, liberty, pursuit of happiness, privacy, whatever language it uses, um, the abortion advocates are going to argue those laws are in conflict with the guarantees of their state constitutions. It just becomes 50 different, you know, arguments in 50 different states. So, um, you know, I think a lot of people will say, listen, some of these laws are airtight. They're ultimately going to survive, but there's going to be this period where they may be on hold. And so legal abortions can continue in those states. Um, again, this is a, a, a place where judges matter. Some states are elected, some ju- you know, states are appointed, um, but it's all going to come down to these 50 laboratories of democracy, how they work out these fights about abortion. And there's nothing in any of these state laws um, that would prohibit a woman from crossing state lines. Um, so there are always going to be options for those who are seeking. And, of course, argument as well. People you know, may not have the money to go. There are all kinds of funds being set up. You know employers. Also, many of them are saying, we'll pay for your travel expenses if you have to cross state lines to get an abortion. So um, abortion is still going to be widely available in this country. But just how widely available is going to be a state-by-state fight. And we'll see what happens. It's June, or excuse me, it's now July, and we have Woo-hoo. until November. We'll see what the hot issue is then. Uh, Shannon, show tonight. Do you have have anyone booked yet? I do. It's going to be very exciting. As you would imagine, there's going to be a lot of legal arguing tonight about all kinds of things that have transpired this week. Um, and we've got a hero that's going to help us celebrate the 4th of July as we all salute the wonderful independence of this country and the people who have fought and died and are still serving right now to guarantee that right for us. Happy birthday, America, 246. Shannon, thanks Boom. so much. All right, when we come back, your call is 1-866-408-7669. Then we welcome in Charlie Hurt. Big stories today, The Atlantic. I'm looking at Douglas Murray. They think it's time for the party to move on past Trump. Does Charlie, Brian Kilmeade show. This weekend, check out Brian's new show on Fox News Channel. His new Saturday show lets him ruin your weekends, too. Take it easy, Gutfeld. That really hurts. One Nation with Brian Kilmeade. Saturdays at 8 p.m. Eastern on Fox News Channel. More of Brian coming up. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. When the president got into those questions, gas prices and inflation and abortion rights, there was a lot less of that certainty, a lot less of that emphatic nature uh, of his initial presentation on NATO because he doesn't have great answers. And that is David Axelrod. He is not somebody who's a right-wing pundit. Of course, I always thought he was lukewarm on Joe Biden. He saw Joe Biden up up close, and I don't think he has anything negative to say about it, but nothing positive either. They knew that this guy had a few screws loose and had bad instincts to begin with. Remember, in the first four years, he had one gaff after another. The next four years, you didn't see much of him. Then he had the tragedy with his son, and then Hillary Clinton ended up getting the endorsement of Barack Obama, much to his chagrin. 
That's why in 2024, everything is up in the air. And I think it's up in the air with President Trump, too. Uh, Governor DeSantis now within, I think, nine points of him on approval rating amongst Republicans. He's uh, been so impressive as a Republican governor in the uh, in the state of Florida. But he would not be there without President Trump. So we'll talk about that. And for Joe Biden, he cannot convince his party that he is the right person. Roberta, listen, WOKV in Jacksonville. Hey, Roberta. Hello, Brian. How are you? Good. What's on your mind? Well, I love your show, uh, particularly on the July 4th with all the talk about patriotism and why are we so proud to be Americans. I wanted to bring up a point that I recently discovered sitting with a group of folks uh, playing cards and discovering that I was the only one there born in the U.S. They were all from other places around the world, but they all considered themselves Americans long before they came here and became citizens. Because when they grew up in either Central America, North America, or South America, they were raised to tell themselves they were Americans. So they always identified themselves as that. And I thought that was interesting because in all of the discussions I hear, I talk about, I hear about us proud Americans, but these folks have always considered themselves Americans long before they became citizens. So now I identify myself as a citizen of the United States a C-O-T-U-S, like a POTUS or a SCOTUS. And I think that's important to recognize the difference. Yep. Citizens as well as Americans. But in all of the narratives everywhere, it's we're always just identified as Americans rather than citizens. And we've lost some of the importance of being a citizen when we're not reminded of it enough. Yeah, you t- it's, it's natural human nature to take it for granted if you've always had it. But if you're the first generation, you really appreciate it. If you're the first, if the second generation who watched the first generation struggle, you really understand it. But after a while, people go, well, you know, we, uh, we're a country built on stolen land with white privilege. Really? Yeah, that's what they're teaching in school. And that becomes how you grow up. I suggest right now you grab your kids if they feel that way or you grab yourself if you feel that way and travel. Find another country that compares. Find another country that has a close to free market economy that doesn't promise you a outcome, but promise you an opportunity and see what that, that outcome role uh, does. Jack Keen was asked about that today by a guy named, okay, it was me, about what is he thinking about this 4th of July? Here's what he said, cut 38. We reflect on uh, how fortunate we are to be here uh, as Americans. We're the oldest democracy in the world, and, and yet we're one of the young, youngest countries. We had a fight for our freedom here. And the genius of the founding fathers, having removed the shackles of repression themselves, they formed a federal government that they didn't want it to be too powerful. They wanted the people to be more powerful. And I think as a result of it, we grew into an exceptional nation, largely for three reasons. We're a meritocracy here. It's up to the individual to succeed in this country. And the conditions are set for that individual to succeed. So that was just me asking extemporaneously what separates our country. Most people that hate the country don't really travel or have a perspective, haven't bought a house. Every once in a while, you got the Hollywood superstar with huge personal attaches, people around them doing everything, and they might feel as though they're happy and uh, happier in the Commonwealth of Puerto Rico, happy or, you know, be better off in Venezuela uh, with Sean Penn. I'm not really sure. Here's what else uh, Jack Keane said, cut 39. 
We are the most generous country in the world. Look at we spent the 20th century and a good part of this century going all over the world to remove the shackles of repression that other people were imposing on their own people or others. And we were willing to send our treasure and die for others in countries that most people who were fighting those wars never even heard of and certainly ne never even visited. It is a remarkable story of American leadership and the contribution we made not only to our own people but to the world writ large. Yeah, I also think uh, when you talk about what's going on around the world, you get a real uh, a take on uh, the American people. And right now, we are our own worst enemy. For the first time in my lifetime, we are constantly criticizing ourselves. If you look at the study that I've alluded to, they asked a Fox News poll, are you proud of your country? Now the answer is only 39% say yes. In 2011, the number was 69%. Are you proud of your country? Democrats, 46% say yes. 36% say uh, yes for Republicans. 29% say yes for independents. Are yes, are you proud of the country? Democrats? Uh, we have that one. What about, are you proud of the country today? Uh, men, 41% are proud. Women, 36% are proud. Black voters, 45%. And Hispanic voters, 35%. And last one on men and women. Men, 41% are proud. Women, just 36% are proud. Black voters, 45%. Again, over. And Hispanic voters, 35%. Interesting. So that's, uh, they're all down from where they were. Outside black voters are 10 points up. Black voters, they're all down except for black voters. So that's something to keep in mind when this holiday season. Go out of your way to point out how good the country is with all the problems that we have. We're not, you're not supposed to get everything you want every single day unless you're an absolute monarch, which we do not employ them. We do not employ them at all. So another season of What Made America Great is now out is as of yesterday. So I want you to check it out. There are about a half-hour mini-documentaries, everything from the history of oil and gas in our country, another reason to feel proud. Then you have the history of the automobile, Henry Ford, his role, how Thomas Edison helped. Then you have the history of the aircraft carrier, got a chance to see the Flatley family, including a relation to the son of the first person ever to land on an aircraft. You're talking about uh, putting a platform over an oil tanker. Coal, excuse me, a coal tanker, and then the uh, history of Hollywood. So you'll find out why Shirley Temple meant so much to the Fox lot and the Fox business. Not anymore. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. Charlie, Ro Charlie Hurt is next. talk show that's getting you talking you're with brian kilmeade the democrats are looking for any unicorn they can find to save them from the dead whether it be january 6 whether it be uh, abortion whether it be guns i mean this is the secret life of joe biden he's living as you pointed out he is living in in the world of his own fantasies and you you spelled it out we talk about gas prices he's oh it's putin's fault 
mean, forget about all the executive orders that he signed that you've talked about a million times. Uh, uh, the abortion opinion. Oh, uh, they're going to come after gay marriage next. And then on inflation today, he says, oh, well, the rest of the world's got it a lot worse. Look, they've got to change the narrative. They're find, grabbing at anything they can find because people aren't happy. And when you're not happy, you can't win elections. Uh, that is, Reince Priebus knows all about that. That's what he was trying to do. He had a uh, great movement that's underappreciated to try flipping state houses and started putting Republicans in control in areas in which weren't the most high-profile things uh, that you could possibly do. Charlie Hurd is now in studio, Fox News contributor, getting set. He's a columnist for The Washington Times, but more importantly, getting set to host the big show this weekend. Right? Yes, indeed. We're, it's Saturday night. It's going to be huge. Don't right. miss it. Who's on with you? you don't I know. didn't know there was gonna, this was going to be a, like a pop quiz. Well, you I just told me. Just in, what I, colleague, who I, don't you want on with I, you? I, I mean, I, who do you want to make sure I is thought not you, on? Are you not going to be on? I, I, re- gonna... I refuse to appear with you, I th- except for to, except for right now. You know, you had me on your first show, on your first Saturday Night Show, yeah. and I told you that it was going to be downhill uh, from that show Because on. I hit the peak. You hit the peak with me on there, and uh, I noticed you haven't had me on since, so right. I assume it's been all downhill you, since then. You created a lot of I mean, I don't ever miss angst. it. I watch it every Saturday really? night. Do you re- watch the repeat at 11? Yes, I do. Right. I watch both. All right, fantastic. Don't believe you. But I do get it. So, right, we were just talking about elections, what's going on in this country right now. It's pretty clear that the Democrats, in many ways, sincerely, are going to make Roe v. Wade something that's going to last in November. Will it be effective? Yeah. So, well, the the short, honest answer to that is I don't know. We don't know. It's not been – we haven't had an election uh, explicitly about this in 50 years. Uh, so and I and I, I have I have the tremendous humility and and realism to understand that I don't know we're going to see you know obviously polling is complex about this I'm going to be fascinated it is the most fascinating thing um, I think uh, to, to watch politically uh, certainly of, of this election but but I think for a long time but I will say this that I am sort of suspicious that maybe Democrats are more hopeful or not being very honest. Um, I think the fact that they want it to be about abortion uh, tells you one thing for certain, and that is they don't want to run on anything else because, you know, they uh, they run both chambers of Congress and the White House and nothing is going well. But hold on. But this is really important. Here's the other thing. I'm also doubtful that it's as good as they say it's going to be because for 50 years, Democrats have done everything they can to keep this issue in the courts and out of the political process. My suspicion is that abortion is not the electoral winner that Democrats are claiming right now. Don't you think Joe Joe Biden, the senator, should admit that he's on the other side of this issue, like the guy from the 1970s? I just looked up uh, this morning at 3 in the morning. You were not up. I called. It just kept ringing. Um, Nothing good happens between 3 and 5 a.m. Yes, it is if it's the next day. If it happens that day. For example, if you thought it was Thursday. Unless you're going duck hunting. Right. Right, Sam? Right. He he believes that. Yeah. Um, Duck Dynasty guys were here last week, though. They have a brand new series on Fox yeah. Nation. So U.S. Um, you're, you're a seamless. Uh, uh, I just plugger. want to build on your points. Yeah. So in 1977, Joe Biden voted against a compromise that allowed Medicaid to fund abortions. In 1981, he did it again. And what was even more far reaching, wanted to ban federal funds for uh, federal funds for abortions. In 83, he wanted to prohibit federal workers from using health insurance on abortions. 
In 2007, he says he's personally opposed to abortion and has spoken op- openly about the internal struggles with the issue. Why wouldn't he act like a human being like he was in the 70s and 80s and, and act as if now it seems as though to have an abortion is to have a trophy? How do you rattle those statistics right off the top of your head? It's amazing the amount Some of stuff Some would say that on can... Fox Nation watching, I was reading. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, as, a, as, a, as an ear witness right here, I, he, was, he just rattled that off the top of his head. Um, no, uh, no, uh, no, it's so important. And all of those points are I- important to remember uh, how much the guy has changed. And, you know, when uh, when Roe v. Wade was decided in 1973, Joe Biden had been sworn in for, I think, 22 days. He has been in the Senate the entire time, Roe v. Wade. And 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 so so for to listen to him now talk about how we need to codify Roe v. Wade. Oh, which, by the way, if you support the court overturning Roe v. Wade and kicking it back to the legislature, that's exactly what they're saying. Codify Roe v. Wade. That's fantastic. But he's been there for 50 years. He's been there the entire time Roe v. Wade was the law of the land, was super president, was settled law. And he never did anything to try to codify Roe v. Wade. And and one of the reasons is, as you point out, he didn't have the positions that he now has so emphatically and 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 I think that, um, but I, I I'm glad that we're going to have an election on this. I look forward to seeing them execute their argument for codifying Roe v. Wade, and we'll see what uh, how voters react to that. So what I find amazing is the left wing still not happy with Joe Biden, who basically sacrifices integrity and believe? beliefs. Listen to uh, uh, AOC cut eight. So I believe that the president should come out in favor, uh, forcefully in favor of expanding the Supreme Court. I believe that the that the president should forcefully come out in favor of abolishing the Senate filibuster. Those two actions dramatically increase political pressure and makes it much harder to resist. So if you're going uh, if you're going with her, uh, if he if you can't please her, number one, she has not committed to even voting for him again. (laughs) She has no idea how the legislative process works. She wants the president to make a, a substantive speech, but the speech is not going to do anything. No, it's so amazing. Talk about the, the uh, biting the hand that feeds you. AOC will never have the power, the political power she now possesses through the Biden administration. She will never see it again. This way, Joe Biden, uh, unless Barack, she becomes president. Like I said, AOC <laughs> will never have the power that she has right now in, in terms of the presidency. Uh, President Obama never would have given her the amount of leeway and the, uh, g- given her all of the fruit baskets and, and, and presents that Joe Biden has given. Blame AOC. the chief of staff. And whatever she and then and then for her to turn around and and uh, bite and, and bite it at, at Biden is kind of amazing to me. Um, but uh, but, you know, and, and listening to um, uh, li- but but, you know, listening to Joe Biden over in. Madrid attacking the Supreme Court, which I think was absolutely astonishing. But one of the things that he talked about was breaking the filibuster. He didn't just attack the Supreme Court of the United States overseas. He also attacked the United States Senate, where he was a uh, member in good standing for whatever it was, 45 right. years. Um, I, I think that that to me is sort of, you know, we talk about a lot of norms being broken in uh, politics over the past five years. I, I, I don't know of a greater norm that was broken by watching the president of the United States attack not one but two bran- uh, branches of the federal government overseas. Uh, let's talk about what's on the right. Do you see – do you have two people in mind that would challenge or uh, be favorites to take the nomination should Biden not be a factor? 
Um, well, uh, if, if I were Democrats, I would go with AOC. I would go with where the enthusiasm is, or I would go with Bernie Sanders. The problem with Bernie Sanders is he's extremely old, eighty-two, and yeah, and it's and and but he's he's a young old. Unlike Biden, Biden is an, old, an old, 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 a very old, old. Um, but honestly, if I were Democrats right now, to, uh, you got to look at it. It's like rebuilding your baseball team. I would just go with go Pritzker. Yeah, I would. Go and Gavin Newsom. Yeah. Well, yeah. No, no. Some of these people are so ridiculous. AOC is at least you know she, she she's a goofball, but she is she's she's got passion. People really love her. Um, and I would go with it. That's <laughs> very good recommendation. It came from the heart. There's no way you know you don't even believe that. No, no, actually you, you I think do people because do no, really you, like her? you wouldn't win. Oh no! Oh, I think. Oh, are you kidding? You think me? The Chris Coons of the world, the people that like moderates, see the squad and think, no, "Thank no, goodness." No, I, I, no, obviously, I want the Democrat Party to be a thriving party because I don't trust Republicans to be to do the right thing without opposition. I want there to be mm. loyal opposition. I want to have two thriving parties. Um, so yeah, I would love to see Joe Manchin as the Democrat nominee. Joe Manchin will never be the Democrat nominee. That party has sailed. It's, it's a shame. It's a vi- no, absolutely. It's a viable party. It's it's a winning party. The crack up that the the Republican Party is coming out of whatever it is, ten years now, twelve years now of the Tea Party Revolution. That's how we got Trump, and it's why we and it's why we have this embarrassment of riches on the Republican side uh, of of people that could run against. Joe Biden. Um, But we're on the tail end of seeing what Republicans have been through, and it was very painful. That crack up has yet to hit the Democrat Party. It's just hitting the Democrat Party. They haven't even begun the teardown process. And and, and when they and and the reason Joe Biden got the nomination in 2020 is because they didn't want to deal with the teardown process. The 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 person who should have won was Bernie Sanders. But Democrats couldn't abide They rigged the game like they did with Hillary. They, yeah. They, they rigged the game and, against it. Right. And so, so they haven't even, like, faced reality yet. And right. so that teardown, if, the, if the, you begin the teardown process by nominating a goofball like, like AOC, I don't I, – I'm not, I'm not kidding. I, I, she's not going to win, but she could win the nomination. She's not going to win a general election. But you know what? That starts the teardown process. And then every – in bitter, bitter, agonizing defeat, right. Democrats come back together and they say, OK, well, let's go – well, let's try, you know, I don't know, Amy Klobuchar or, or, or Warner or even though he's a little old. Here's Senator Lindsey Graham. we got to look at the right now. Senator Lindsey Graham golfed yesterday with President Trump. Cut 27. And I talked to President Trump today, and he's very worried about his country. And stay tuned. I think he is uh, on the verge of making a decision here. I'll leave it up to him. But when he was president, we had a secure border. When he was president, ISIS was uh, destroyed. The caliphate was. Iran was in a box. We were energy independent. If I were President Trump, I would talk about the idea it doesn't have to be this way. There's a better way. And I'd go to the border if I were President Trump. So he's about to make an announcement that he's going to come in. What do you think? So, all right. So obviously, Lindsey Graham is a favorite punching bag for a lot of conservatives, uh, and and has been for a long time. Not me, but but he is one of the most eloquent uh, analyzers of the the Republican state or the state of the country, for that matter. That's why he is so effective in the Kavanaugh hearings, and he's and he's dead right about all of this. And people who think that that Donald Trump is finished. Uh, I think are are as wrong as they were in 2016. There is an avenue for him, and I think if he were to run 
again against get the nomination. And I think there's a very good chance for him to get the nomination. And if he runs against Joe Biden, I predict he wins. And the reason is exactly what he just listed through the normal people who aren't caught up in all of the hysteria of January 6th and the two impeachments, all, all this stuff. Yeah, exactly. All this stuff that most normal Americans don't give a rip about. The, but they look at the situation. They see the economy. But Charles, it's up to him. Person. I know, but Charles, it's up to him. If he is going to run on 2020, oh, I, he, no, no, I, if he runs on 2020, I agree. No, so you, it's really not nothing else. If he ran on his record, he'd be great. No, I c- could not agree with you more. And and uh, and but but th- people aren't going to pay attention to the arguments about 2020 because they, they don't care about the arguments about 2020 any more than they care about January 6th. But they, they have to tell care. him. They have to tell him because news, Newsmax, for example, he told it all the time. And, and what the a thing and you, you talk to him all the time. And and I have said that exact thing to him. And what does he say? And he is he's right about this. That if you don't have fair elections, you don't have a democracy. So and he is would, right about that. And he has made a, a, a tremendous living at at being his own counsel. And you know he's being his own counsel when he says, smart people tell me. When he says, smart people tell me I should talk about this, what he's saying is, I think I should talk about this. He, and, and, and that's one of the things that people like about him is that he is his own counsel when it comes to things like this. And no, I'm, you're nodding. You're shaking your head. I'm telling you. I'm, it, I'm it, in agreement it, with it's you. Like if, if the, it's like the Patriots choosing to fumble. Uh, excuse me. They, if, if the Patriots want to win that. the Super Bowl? Did, did they, or they kick they the fumble? ball in the net or not? I don't. No, uh, oh, that's, that's right. That's football communist football. football. I mean, yeah. it's like the if the Patriots were with Tom I, Brady, and they and threw instead, in the strike of, zone? instead of trying to instead of trying to score, would just put just drop the no, ball in the net. I get it. I get it. No, I, you know, you and I are in total agreement. But and 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 at the end of the day, the issues that got President Trump elected in 2016 are more viable now than they were in 2016. They would get him reelected, and 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 also, you know, we, we are still two out, two years out. Um, I think that uh, it, these things have to run their course, and he's still understandably pissed. Last question: Does DeSantis run? Um, I, uh, I I I don't know. That is obviously up to DeSantis. I think that DeSantis has a tremendous uh, something tremendous to offer, um, but. Uh, I don't think anybody out there has the sort of the ability, the, the, the appeal, the ability to entertain people and forcefully fight his agenda and the plus way DeSantis Donald Trump is, does. Donald Trump got him that governorship. He got him the nomination. He got plowed the way. Last it, it'll be an epic fight. This the, is your second only, last question. The only other person that I think has a shot that has nothing to do with Trump, they're just friendly, is Yunkin. Does Yunkin have enough, as he's too inexperienced, does he have enough popularity to resonate well, nationally? first of all, Yunkin has his hands full with Virginia. Yep, but he's, he only got one term. Yeah, he's got one term, but, uh, but that term extends past the next 2024. Um, he has his hands full. Yunkin is uh, a tremendous – is one of the greatest – the greatest thing to happen to Virginia in a very long time. Um, and he's got this – Tremendous agenda, but but this is and this goes back to the thing we're ten just seconds t- talking about. The, the Trump agenda is what Yunkin ran on and won in Virginia. Everybody is running on the Trump agenda now. We need Trump to run on the Trump agenda. Okay, Charlie Hurt, thanks so much. We'll see Good if the president's you. listening. Both sides, all opinions. It's Brian Kilmeade.
He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. By 1920, at the end of the war, there were a million cars on the road in American streets. And those cars were fueled by gasoline refined from crude oil. How long is the exploration? How long does the drilling take place? Months, weeks, Well, it, it depends on the depth of the well. So typically what happens is you start an exploration phase. We actually have a broader understanding of the zones that will actually produce oil and gas, which is called the reservoir, and then subsequently various completion strategies are employed. Just a little of what you'll hear in the latest edition of What Makes America Great. I've had more people come up and say, I did not know that. I go into these projects for these series of What Made America Great on Fox Nation. I'll know what's going on. I'll study it. Then I get the experts out there, and I'll bring it forward. History of Hollywood, you have no idea how it started. I even did not really wasn't fully aware that Thomas Edison was the first one with a movie projector, and they, they moved to California to get away from Edison because he was suing everyone for going ahead with their own movie projects and not going through him. That's how they ended up way out in Hollywood land, which ended up being Hollywood and I do the stand-ups right behind, right in front of the Hollywood sign. So go to Fox Nation and make sure to listen to One Nation uh, on Fox News Channel 8 and 11 o'clock. You'll go up close and personal, the history of the Navy SEALs. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, Fox News contributor and editor of the Transom.com daily newsletter. And I'm inviting you to join a conversation every week. It's the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.